Welcome to the Aaron Novello Podcast. Are you looking to master the art of real estate sales? Do you want to level up your business and lifestyle? You are in the right place. Aaron and his guests share winning real estate sales strategies and techniques and show you how to win the inner game that leads to financial freedom. Get ready. Here is your host, top producing real estate agent and coach to some of the top agents in the U.S. and internationally, Aaron Novello. So welcome back, Novello Nation, to another episode of the Aaron Novello Podcast. We have with us an absolute rock star, the muscle man of real estate, the pride and joy of Scottsdale, Arizona, did 193 close and pending transactions uh, in 2020, 1.9 million in GCI on track to do more this year. Mr. Jason Penrose, I appreciate you taking the time to be with us, brother. Thanks for having me, Aaron. I appreciate it. Yeah, 100%. So I always like to bring people to the platform that I believe can add tremendous value. And I know just from your story alone, people will get a huge amount of value. So I wanted to ask you some questions around getting to 100 transactions. I know that that's like a mental barrier for a lot of folks. I remember at a time me and you were both, you know, pushing to get to that 100. And prior to kind of asking you, some detailed questions around that. I think people will get a lot of value about your story in terms of getting into real estate because it's very mm-hmm. compelling and uh, very interesting. So it's interesting is that um, I didn't want to be in sales. So that was never my goal. In fact, I went to college and when people told me, my parents were like, you should go into sales. I thought, man, that's just not why I'm going to college. I don't want to be a sleazy salesperson. That's literally my mindset about salespeople. And I hadn't had many you know, interactions with salespeople. I guess I just took on the public persona of what a salesperson was, or at least that was my thought process. And then every job I had after college was in some form of sales. So whether I was you know, an account executive at a bank or I was working at T. Rowe Price as a financial advisor with all my securities licenses, helping people allocate 401ks or whatever, for IRAs, I was also some form of sales. And so I finally got into real estate when I was 26 and I got on my dad. I was partners on a team and I got in as a buyer's agent, but I did listings at the same time. And I remember getting laid off from my last job and just thinking, you know, real estate's going to be, I was at a job I didn't like. And I remember praying to God saying, if you want me in real estate, you got to give me a sign. I think I laid off like two weeks later. So that was my sign. Right. And then of course my wife was pregnant. We just bought our first triplex. We lived in one door, rented out the other two doors and you know, I'm out of a job. My wife's like, well, if you're going to do it, now's the time. Because once we start having kids, you got to have income. So if you're going to do it, go for it. I remember Charles Schwab calling me after I got laid off and offering me a job to go work there. And I thought, you know, I'm just going to give real estate a shot, you know? And so I'm at least give it 90 days. And so I just remember going to a a Mike Ferry seminar and learning how to prospect and then hit the phones and just started calling and (laughs) didn't really know what I was doing. I just had a script and a phone and thought, what the heck, I'm going to go for it. And I got nothing to lose. I got nothing to lose at this point. It's like, it's like now or never. I think just sometimes when you burn the ships, you got no, nothing to go back to. Yeah. And that's, I find that so interesting in that, like you were in an environment where it seems as though going backwards wasn't really an option. It was either we're going to do this and we're going to go all out. So now I'm curious because I'm imagining at the time, you felt as though like that's not optimal at the same time, reflecting back was Uh exactly what was required in order to kind of propel you in that direction. 
Yeah, I think I, um, you know, there's two different ways to be motivated by fear, right? Or you're motivated by rewards. It's either one or the other. Um, I, I'll be 100% honest, you know, I, I'm more fear motivated. So the fear of loss for me is a bigger motivator than the desire for gain. Um, and so just that idea of like, I didn't want to fail. And so, you know, I, I, I kind of had everything on the line, if you will. I just bought a house. I'm, I'm married. I got a wife who's pregnant and I'm just going to go for real estate. And um, I, I knew I didn't like the nine to five. I didn't like the corporate world. Um, I didn't get along well in the corporate world. I felt like I was always, there was a limit on what I could make. And I felt like a lot of times my superiors, I'm like, how, how do they make it more than me? I, you know, I can do a better job. And so I didn't like having it. I realized the whole reason I didn't like corporate was because I was more of an entrepreneur. I wanted to be the boss. I wanted to run the show. I wanted to do my own thing. And I didn't know that until I got outside of that. And I was, you know, self-employed, that that was really my calling was to be self-employed and have be a business owner and not an employee. And it was a book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, that I'd read when I was working on my MBA. I read that book and I think I got to page four, talked about the rat race. And I remember reading that going, oh my gosh, what am I doing? I'm getting an MBA so I can be a high paid corporate bitch. And that was literally the thought I had. And my wife and I were reading it together. I'm like, this is dumb. Like, why am I doing this? Why am I putting myself through this? I don't want to be in corporate America. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I just didn't want to do it. And so that's when I decided to drop out of the MBA program and go into real estate. That's awesome. And what I'm writing down here feverishly as we're talking is that you kind of self-assessed at a high level and you recognize that your natural disposition is like, I really crave autonomy. I do not <laughs> like being in an environment where people are kind of on me. The other thing that you recognized is that you're naturally, your natural disposition is you're motivated by external rewards like money. And there's nothing wrong with that. I find like a lot of people have hangups about that. Yeah, and, uh, I tell people stories all the time where like when I was uh, in middle school, I used to sell airheads out of my backpack at the bus stop. <laughs> and I know that your son did like something like that too, where he had this whole like, you know, uh, thing going on. So you just recognized as a natural, disp- like who you were like, hey, this isn't, this isn't for me. Like I should be in a mm-hmm. different environment. And it actually fits perfectly with the role of being kind of a dominant listing agent sort of thing. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Now, I'm also imagining as I was writing this down because your wife's pregnant, the house, mm-hmm. like you just bought a house. I'm imagining that was incredibly stressful. So, mm-hmm. so like, what got you through that? Um, well, there's a, a few things. Um, you know, obviously a devout faith. I'm a Christian, and so going to church on Sunday, knowing that I felt like God wanted me in this position, and just knowing that He was behind me, you know, was was very comforting for me personally. And um, you know, also my wife's support. I mean, I can tell you right now, if you're going to go into real estate, you know, you're married, your spouse should really better be supportive. If they're not hundred percent supportive of it, it's going to be a really tough road to hoe long-term. Um, so that's really, important. <laughs> that's really important. So having that support was big. And then, you know, my dad, you know, backing me as well. So, you know, it's just having that support group of people around you that want you to be successful. That's and um, that's a big part of it. And, and then and immersing yourself in reading books. I mean, I remember I went to Nightingale Conan. This was a long time ago, back when we had CDs. So for the younger audience, these are like classic discs, right? You put in your, your player. So I remember going and signing up for their, I think they call it their Insiders Club. And I got 24 like CD programs. And I ordered everything from Dennis Waitley to Earl Nightingale to Jim Rohn, you name it. Got them all. And uh, Brian Tracy and just put them all on, a, on, a, on an MP, on an old... I, iPod 
and loading them up on an iPod, had a screen's new 80 gig. It was the biggest thing at that time. And just adapting my car to have an aux jack so I could stream it. And so I literally just listened to sales, motivation, inspiration, nonstop in my car for years. And um, I didn't have the radio on. I was always listening to something in my car uh, that was going to inspire me, motivate me, make me think outside of my own head. Because I realized I didn't come from a family of entrepreneurs. I didn't, you know, it just wasn't there. I didn't have really that, that environment growing up. So I had to learn something I didn't know. So I was constantly looking for that. Yeah. That next thing. That's awesome. And for those of you that are listening that are trying to get to a hundred, he's giving you nuggets, right? So one is burn the boats, right? There's Mm -hmm. no other options. And then Mm -hmm. two, it's so true what he's telling you. Cause I remember being in his presence and he would have a, he has like an audible account. And people around him are saying books and he's just like, bing, bot, bing, bot, bing, bot. Like he's just adding them to his, his audible. And he's constantly like this ferociously just piling information in. uh, So that way, you know, he can learn what he needs to learn in order to, to get to that level. So, so you did that, right? You burn the boats, you're pouring stuff into your head. So what was your experience kind of that first couple of years? Like what happened? So um, first year, sold 24 homes. It was interesting when I got into real estate full time, I just wanted to make about 65,000 a year because that's what I figured is all I needed to make for my wife to stay home with our kids. And, you know, that for me was thinking big because the last job I had, I was making 35. So um, I realized very quickly over the next few years that I was thinking small. And so I did like 24 the first year. Then it was like 36 deals and 48 and like 63 and then got stuck in the eighties, you know, for a while. And, um, I was working with buyers and sellers. I had an assistant, then I had another assistant and I'd stick in the 80 mark and then realizing, okay, if I'm gonna go to a hundred, you know, I got to get a buyer's agent. I got to have somebody taking the buyers out and showing properties so I can focus hundred percent on the listing side. And then that's when I was able to break over a hundred. That's awesome. So I just wrote this down. It went from, it sounds like 24, 36, 63. Then, yeah, something like that. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. And that was very yeah. similar to in my experience. That's the that mm-hmm. trajectory. And then you, you said something which was interesting is that you got stuck in the 80s. So yeah. I read a book one time, which I'm pretty sure you've read called Mastery, and he talked about yeah. the plateau. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like that was like a long ass plateau. It was, yeah. And I remember, yeah. I remember we would talk about it, and you're like, Yeah, bro, it's like this hundred. Like, I don't know. And it was like you like like how long did that plateau last? years. It did last for quite a few years. Um, I broke through that, I think around 2010. It was around 2010 that I broke through. And being that it, it took years, like I learned from Tony Robbins, a business master, he said the, what always holds a business back is the psychology of its owner. And my experience is yes, more and more as I like have my own experiences and my own businesses, or just mm-hmm. working with other people and coaching and training, I find that to be like a thousand percent accurate. So for you, what was the psychology that was holding you back at that 80, keeping you stuck? Yep. So the psychology of that, that'll take someone and keep them at 80 and not let them break through hundred, at least for me. And I think this is the same for a lot of agents is they're working with the buyers and the sellers. They don't refer anything out. They handle all the production themselves. They hire assistants to help them with the service, but they don't release any clients. And because of that, they're going to hold on to the buyers, which take up the most time, which is going to limit their, their options for prospecting for new listings. That will keep them under 100 in most cases. And it's, it's, it's fear-based because if you're thinking, okay, if I give up the buyers to a buyer's agent, and let's just say I'm giving them a 50-50 split just to throw a number out there, um, 
okay, well, if, if 60% if 60 of my business is listings, 40% is buyers, I'm giving up half the buyers, how much money am I out? I'm calculating the numbers in my head. I'm like, I'm at 100 grand. And you start to think, that's a lot of money. And you start focusing on the loss and you're not even thinking about the game because if you're not going to give up the buyers because you don't want to split the buyer side of the commission, you got to think about what, what the bigger issue is. The bigger issue is with all that free time I now have on my hands, am I disciplined enough to take that time and invest it to go get more sellers. Because if I'm disciplined enough to go after more sellers and more clients, then it's gonna be a, a very good change. I'm gonna have more control of my life, more control of my schedule. I'll be able to see my family more. And I'm gonna be able to grow the business to a different level if I can release that part of it. But it's up to the person who's doing that releasing, do they have the discipline, instead of taking that extra time to goof off, are they going to take that time and invest it into doing more business? Because if not, then their production is not going to grow. It is going to cost them money. And maybe they have a you know, more balanced life if that's their ultimate goal. But if their ultimate goal is to grow and make more money and be more successful, then they're going to have to take that time and reinvest it into going out and working with more clients. Yeah, that's awesome, man. These are such good nuggets. So, so the psychology that needs to be, that, that holds people back uh, yeah. is one, this idea of letting go. It's like letting go of the vine. And I'm aware that in order to grow, you have to let go of something, a way of thinking. You have to let go of money. You have to let go of like a process, like, you know, something. You have to be wrong in some way. Yep. And uh, there was a fear there about letting go primarily of money. Uh -huh. Thinking to your head like, oh man, 100,000 a whole bunch of money, right? Not recognizing that like, wow, like if I let that go, it opens up this whole other pot, right? Yep. <laughs> That's yep. available to me. And it sounds like it took you a little bit to get to there, which is quite normal and natural. Uh, mm -hmm. particularly having had an experience like me and you did where our families of origin, you know, people, my dad's the same thing. When my broker asked me how much I wanted to make, I told him 50, 60,000. Cause that's the biggest number I could think of. And I said, Hey, that's what my dad makes. If I make that I'm cool. Right. Right. Yeah. So, so that, that goes into that kind of fear-based thinking of there not being enough or lack. And then mm -hmm. the other thing that I took from what you said is this idea, like you can't be world-class at both. Mm -hmm. You no. just can't. Like it's not possible. So you have to make an no. intentional, purposeful decision and say, okay, what's the highest leverage activity? Mm -hmm. What's the most profitable activity? Yep. And that is just listing property in, in this game, right? It is. And also if you're going to keep if service, service should obviously be your number one goal. So, you know, to deliver a high level of service, your name, your reputation is everything. And at a certain level, if you don't bring somebody else on to help you with your buyers and you're trying to run both sides of the, of the coin, you're going to run yourself into the ground, number one, physically, emotionally, mentally, but you're also going to start compromising your clients because your clients want to go see a property. And if you're not available because you're working with so many people and they can't go see the property, they lose it to somebody else, you know, because you weren't available to show the house, you haven't done your client any favors either. So bringing people on as you grow, you have two options. You can bring people on and grow and deliver a high level of service. Or you can scale back and say, you know what? I don't want to go to the next level. I'm going to stay where I'm at. But any business that's trying to maintain is going to shrink. Right? It's so true, bro. Greg yeah. Carano, he'll tell you that like a flat line eventually goes backwards. Like that. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> so, true. And what's so interesting about what you're saying, it's like this difference between, which we were talking about prior to kind of getting started, is the difference between technical thinking, like a technician, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. entrepreneurial thinking. Yeah. Technical thinking is like, how can I do this task? Mm -hmm. Entrepreneurial thinking is how can I build a system mm -hmm. that does this task? Right. And in order to do that, I have to provide opportunities for other people. Yep. 
you got to provide opportunities and you also have to be willing to release control. And I know for some people, control is a real problem. They want to control everything from beginning to end. I mean, one of the hardest parts about bringing an agent onto my team is them wanting to release the escrow. Like they want to be part of the escrow process. They want to hold on to the file. They want to they want to schedule things, coordinate things. They want to go to inspections, you know, and realizing it's like, look, I've got people on my team that do this hundreds of times a year. They've got more experience than you do in this, in this area. Let them handle it. That's not your job anymore. Your job is to go out and find another client to work with. It's not to service this file, right? We've got people that do that. But you have to be willing to release it. Are mistakes made? Sure. Would you make a mistake if you're being honest with yourself? Yes, you would. So <laughs> no one's perfect and you can't expect, well, if I handled the file, it'd be perfect. Give me a break, yeah. right? It's not going to be perfect. So, but you have to be willing to release that because if you don't, you're, you're never going to grow. You're going to stay where you're at. It's awesome. Listen to what he's saying, ladies and gentlemen. Now, you mentioned too, though, like, so, so part of it was psychology that kept you stuck at the 80s. But the other part was, it seems like it was systems. So what systems do you think people need to put into place, agents need to put into place to reach that 100? Because I'm aware it's like psychology, but it's also practically speaking, mm -hmm. Yeah, it is systems. It's, it's all about service. So you have to have the service side built out if you're going to grow to the next level, because if you're growing without the systems in place, it's going to be a nice case of crash and burn. Right. <laughs> and um, I think a lot of people, you know, will grow, but they don't have the systems in place. So what you need an assistant, like the old axiom is if you don't have one, you are one. And you're an expensive one at that. Right. That's right. So having a licensed assistant is really important. Um, and depending on where your production level is, you need about one assistant for every 40 transactions on average. Um, it might vary depending on your market. And if there's attorneys in your market, that handle deals versus, you know, escrow states where more of it falls back on the agent. So um, depending on your market, that might vary, but about one, one to 40 ratio um, to handle that part of it. Once you can handle, delegate everything that's not um, production-based, right? So if it's not prospecting, if it's not lead follow-up, if it's not going on appointments, then it should be, you know, or negotiating contracts, it should be passed off to the assistant, right? To handle for you. So you can spend your area in the green time. And I think it's good to have two assistants if you can afford that option because it'll allow you to grow. You also have coverage if someone's out sick or someone's on vacation. Because if you have one assistant, if they're sick, they're on vacation, or they just don't show up one day and you never hear from them again, um, you don't want to be, you know, running solo. Yeah. So yeah. I'd say budget for two. Yeah, that's awesome. What it made me think about is uh, my brother-in-law is a Marine and he always tells me that one is none and two is one. <laughs> yeah, right. So they teach him that in Marines. It's like, if you got like uh, one of something and it disappears, like you got nothing, right? So right. you always want multiples of everything. That's I smart. One, I don't want one income. I want multiple incomes. I don't want one assistant. I want multiple assistants. I don't want one lead yeah. flow. I want multiple lead flows, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think that reminds me of what Robert Kiyosaki was saying. is like, you, you think having a job is security? He said, all your income's coming from one source. If they, you get laid off, they close that plant, you're done. You're zeroed out. Like you're looking for a job. You're on an unemployment line. He said, you got multiple streams of income. If you're a commissioned salesperson, you got six, seven, 20, 50 deals running. One or two fall out. You're okay. You still got money coming in. You're, you're never unemployed, you know, you're never unemployed. I mean, you can now the right mindset, of course, is wake up every morning thinking you're unemployed and you'll work harder, right? Yeah. Start every day at zero. 
which is a challenge once you start to get those multiples coming in. But yes, absolutely. And what it made me think about too, when you just said that is like, uh, it was probably Robert who said something of that nature, like this idea of like uh, being dependent on one crop or being hunters and gatherers. Right. So as hunters and gatherers, you just eat like whatever's up. Like if it's, if it's, uh, you know, lettuce one day, it's lettuce. If it's, if it's a little grains one day, it's grains. If you get an apple, great. If you get lucky and kill like a deer, like you eat a deer, but that is much more safe than being dependent on one crop, like a potato. Right. Yeah. And it's just a different way of thinking, right? It is. It is. Yeah. 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 So, okay. So I wrote down a few things, right. That that you're saying about systems. One is assistant is critical. And the number that you give is one assistant for every 40 deals. And that also requires you being okay with letting go because it's going to cost money. And I'm aware that that's a major barrier because 65% of us live in houses or grow up in houses where people make 60,000 bucks a year. Mm -hmm. The idea of letting go of money when you've been hearing constantly always and forever that money doesn't grow on trees and there's not enough and like eat everything under your plate and all that stuff. It's difficult, Mm -hmm. right? But it's required. That's what Jason's telling you. And he's also Mm -hmm. telling you, if you heard him, to delegate everything that's not income producing. So everything that doesn't fit into your plan, P-L-A-N, prospect, lead, follow, go on appointments, negotiate deals. Everything else should be over on somebody else's plate. Is that right? Yep. Yep. hundred percent. Yeah, that's perfect. And then, so what was it about when you finally broke the barrier? Was it that you just put these things in place? Was it more of the systems? Was it more like in your head? Well, like what was it exactly that caused you to just bust through that barrier of a hundred? It was giving up the, it was giving up the buyers. It was giving up the buyers and just realizing that I was going to spend that extra time calling on sellers. And that was what took me from like 80 to 125 in like a year. Gosh, man. Did did you guys hear what he just said, man? So that psychology, right? That limiting belief of like hoarding money really is what it is, right? It's like hoarding capital. Like, oh, this is all mine. And saying like, wait a minute, if I let that go, what it's going to free up, you went from 80 to 125. Now I'm curious when you gave up that like hundred or whatever it was, I'm imagining on whatever that is, 45 deals, you made like an extra, I don't know, three, 400,000 bucks, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And and realize you're helping other people too. So, I mean, you think about your clients are getting better service. You're making more money. You're hiring people onto your teams. You're employing people. I mean, everyone wins, right? Everyone wins. If you, if you expand, you grow. If some businesses contract, the people get hurt. You know, when people get laid off and businesses downsize and, you know, negative business cycles, nobody wins in that scenario. You know, do you really, and and here's what's interesting. Once you get to a point where you've outsourced and you've delegated and you've grown and expanded and you're doing more production, you're, you're more profitable. You start to look back at, you wouldn't want to go back. You're like, you wouldn't want to fire half your team and take on that responsibility. You wouldn't want to do it. Right. And everyone's happier because you've got people dedicated to different parts of the transaction. Their, your clients are getting better service because you've got people who are dedicated just to that part of the transaction. That's what their job is. That's awesome. What it makes me think about is like, uh, when you grow more, you can give more. Yeah. Right. And I, t- I, I tell people regularly, like my experience, my experience has been anyway, I imagine it's true for you is that like business is not so much like a material, like uh, experience. I feel like it's a spiritual one and it's it like being called to like expand uh-huh. and to grow, like be of service to the many, not like mm-hmm. the few, like don't bury the talents, like multiply them. Yep. That's, that's the exactly intention. right. That's exactly right. And you know, if you if you read through the Bible, you got you got tithing is a big, big, big thing in the Bible. Giving God ten percent, 
This is the only place in the Bible where God says to test him is to give him 10%, watch him open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing he'll never be ever, ever be able to contain. And so when we started looking at that, and you look at any books, I and mean, you can go to Rich Dad, Poor Dad, you can go to even Anthony Robbins, J.C. Penney, all these people, they gave. They didn't hoard 100%. They gave at least 10%. They always gave to some to someone who couldn't give back, right? They would give to someone less fortunate. They would give to their church. So when you, it's, it's an abundance mindset as well, right? When you have this like limiting belief in your mind that if I give it, I won't get it back. That's a real scarcity mindset. And it's, it's not good because when you start thinking in that thing, if I give it, I won't get it back. That's not a, a mindset of abundance. It's going to limit your growth. It's going to limit your, your mindset. It's going to limit a lot of things. And people say there's not enough money out there. There is a lot of money out there. There's a lot. There's, there's no shortage on planet earth. Like it's so interesting. Like uh, I did this uh, prospecting school one time I'm up in New Jersey and uh, we're sitting in this room mm-hmm. and it's, it's like days to sign the checks. So the broker, he signed in the checks and I just asked him, I said, Hey, I'm curious. Um, how much money's on the table right now? And this is a table where people eat donuts and like chit chat and bullshit and like whatever, right? Like they're in this room yeah. all the time. I'm uh-huh. like, how much money's on the table right now? He just like stops. He like looks around. He's like, I don't know, maybe like 350 grand. And that was like one week. Yeah, right. <laughs> and it's like, it's like, dude, there's no shortage. Who's going to notice, uh, you know, Jason getting 200 grand of that? Like, that's only one company. Like, you know, yeah. there's 50 million, 60 million being paid out monthly. Who notices when Jason gets two or 300 grand? Like nobody. Yeah. It's a drop yeah. in the bucket. And this idea of um, there being more than enough, like you were, you were mentioning, like giving. Mm-hmm. What I'm aware of is giving like light and all of its forms, it could just be kindness. It could just be like, you know, mm-hmm. us spending time here together and you sharing wisdom with like all these other people. It could be resources. It mm-hmm. could be knowledge. It could be a book like, hey man, like read this book, right? And, mm-hmm. and in doing so, I feel like you signal, like I am open. I am not mm-hmm. a reservoir who's going to hoard, mm-hmm. like I'm a river. So when it comes in, it flows yeah. out. And that's yeah. how it should be, right? Yeah. And when you bless others, it always comes back to you. It always does. And, um, you know, not to take this on to a different, uh, we're not going to switch topics here, but I recently heard or read that 25% of the money in circulation has been created in the last five years. Right. So when you tell me there's a shortage of money out there, there's probably a little too much. Yeah. hundred percent brother. Yeah. You're absolutely right. And then it's just like figuring out how to get, you know, some flowing to me. That's right. Go out there and get more than your fair share. Yeah, more than my that? fair share. That's exactly yeah. right, brother. More than my fair share. So, so here you, so, so you hit a hundred. We've mm-hmm. done that, and I think you've added tremendous value here. So, give people a glimpse of, okay, after a hundred, what happened? Like, mm-hmm. where did it go from there? So, like one fifth, like one, it's like one twenty-five, one fifty, like one seventy-five. They kept jumping at about twenty-five deals per year increments. One year we broke, like we were like at 212, 212 transactions. Last year we closed at about 190, 193 closed. Um, and, but this year we're already, you know, tracking for, by the end of March, we have roughly almost 586,000 in commissions. So now we're looking almost like 2 million this year. The goal for this year is 350 transactions. Now, am I doing that all myself? Absolutely not. I'm not. I'm not. No. So at a certain point, as your team grows, you hit certain levels. There's only so much one person can do, right? I mean, there's no point in pushing yourself to a point where you're physically and mentally breaking down, right? 
And there, there comes a point where it's like, okay, look, if I want to continue to grow, it's going to have to go outside of me. See, what I noticed with a team, at least this has been my experience, is that a team starts with an individual and then they hire assistants to back them up. Then they start hiring a buyer agent or two to help them with the buyer side. Then they start to hit a level and they're like, okay, look, do I want to be out there going on hundreds of appointments every year and continuing to go on hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of listing appointments? Or do I want to start training other agents to come onto my team to start doing that as well and start to leverage myself out there and duplicate myself out there versus it being 100% dependent on you? And this is the one thing about real estate that it's always kind of bothered me a little bit. And that is, if you think about the cash flow quadrants under Robert Kiyosaki, right? You have the investor, the self-employed person, the employed person, the business owner. Realtors in, in large are self-employed, right? Which means if they don't show up to work, there's no work. Like a doctor, if they don't show up, there's no doctor. There's an attorney who doesn't show up, there's no attorney, right? The business stops. So what I've noticed is a lot of, te- a lot of teams have gone from you know, self-employed to business owner. Right. And where they're scaling their teams in such a way where they're not the ones that are going to be constantly in the day to day grind of it. And they can help and service more people. They can take their model. They can take their business model and scale it out and help more people and deliver still a high level of service without the person who started the team being on every appointment and being involved in every transaction directly. Yeah, that makes total sense to me. So I wrote down a few things. Like one, this is so awesome because this demonstrates like business maturity because I'm aware there was a time where me and you with somebody would be like, yeah, I do like, you know, 193 deals. You'd be like, yeah, but how many do you do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like yeah. that was like a thing. Like you would like talk shit about them because it's like, well, you know, how many do you do? As though right. like it was better if you were yeah. doing all of them versus uh-huh. figuring out a way to build a system that does those deals, right? Yeah. So it's like, so it's like, it's yeah, you can do like, it's like you do 125 of them. Your team did the rest. They're like, oh, you only did 125. But the funny one, the people that are asking those questions, like, oh, how you, you, you turn it on them? What, what did you do last year? It's not 125. You know, That's it's right. not. That's right. And it's beginning to think differently, mm-hmm. right? Where, yeah. you know, you see folks that let's say they do 200, but then maybe like Jason isn't even, he doesn't go on any of those appointments. Mm-hmm. And then that frees him yeah. up to either do stuff that he's interested in or start other businesses or right. time with his family or whatever the case may be. Yeah. And there's other things outside of real estate. And so I think at a certain point, I mean, you can, I mean, I'm not, I'm not trashing anybody. If you want to go out and take two, three, 400 listings yourself, nothing wrong with that. If you can do it, you can handle it. And everyone in your life is happy about it. <laughs> That's the optimal right there, brother. <laughs> That's the key because even wow. as you said that, I'm like, dude, like that's a predictable, there's, there is going to be collateral damage from that. Like no yeah. questions asked because yeah. you're going to be working yeah. 80, 90 hours a week. Yeah. Yeah. And there was a point when I was doing lower production, like around 80 deals where I was working those kind of hours. And my coach at the time was like, look, if you don't bring on a buyer's agent, what you're doing, is, I mean, it's, it's phenomenal that you're doing 88 deals with two assistants and you're doing it, but it's not sustainable. And, you know, do you want to have a good family life? Do you want a wife, you know, who's going to stay with you? I mean, do you want this to, to be good? Then you're going to want to start delegating some things and getting some, some type of balance in your life. And balance doesn't mean you're making less money either. It just means that you need to bring some balance in where you're not doing everything yourself. Yeah. Right? I appreciate what you just said there, because I'm aware too, there's like this thought process, like, you know, like people poo poo the word balance. 
Like it's like a terrible thing. Now I know just like you do that it takes a tremendous amount of time, energy, and effort that you pour yourself into one area, like all of your life energy, right? Like blood, sweat, and tears to get that thing going. At the same time, like you're saying, like if someone was to do this wellness assessment and look at other areas in their life, it's like, all right, I'm kicking ass in this area, but like what's Mm -hmm. going on in these other areas? And that's where bringing in other people can help create balance right yep and and like i said balance doesn't mean the company's not growing doesn't mean they're not going to the next level it just realizes that you can continue to grow you can continue to leverage you can continue to expand but you can't every time you do it you have to ask yourself at a certain level if you're going beyond yourself is this expansion pulling me back into the business or is this expansion pulling me further out of the business right so if every expansion is pulling you back in then you're not it's, it's a high risk business because at that point, if something were to happen to you, and I'm not saying death, I mean, death, it's no longer your problem, right? But if, you know, God forbid you're in some bad car wreck or something happens to you, it's life is unexpected, something happens and you're no longer in that production. Can the team survive? Can the company survive without you? If the answer is no, then you've got a business that's highly leveraged on you. And if you disappear or if you're sick or if you burn out and need a six month sabbatical or something and the business tanks, then it's not, it's a high risk business. It's, it's the whole self-employed thing. It's not a business. McDonald's runs if the owner's not behind there making fries, right? I mean, it does. There are a lot of businesses run. If, you know, if the owner of Facebook, Zuckerberg, whatever his name is, if he didn't, uh, right, that's his name? I don't remember. That's his name. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, so if, if he doesn't show up for a day or two, the company doesn't collapse. He wanted to disappear for six months. I'm sure everyone else could help run the show. It's not dependent on one person. They can get another CEO. So the biggest challenge of realtors is it's all based on them. And so unless, if they want something to sustain and be able to, where they're not going to be 80 years old, working 80 hours a week, trying to keep the thing running, you know, A, you got to have investments. So you got to be smart with your money. And B, you're going to have to leverage outside of yourself. Yeah. Unless you have no life and real estate is your life, then I guess that's a different problem. Yeah, which honestly can happen for a lot of folks. <laughs> right. um, and so, and what I wrote down here is like, is this expansion bringing me back in or is it taking me out? And that's a different way of thinking. And then the other thing you touched on too, which is interesting as far as that quadrant, that unfortunately, because it is such a um, kind of risk business, if it's overly dependent on you, you know, from the E to the S, if somebody is an S, traditionally agents do a really poor job of taking linear income and converting it into residual income. Like taking sure. the income that they're earning from residential resale and converting it into investment income. Because what I'm aware of is for some people, that might be their thing. Like they can do that for 20, 30 years and they'll be fine. Like they'll be more than fine um, if they don't want to go that other route. But, you know, I can have you, we can have another conversation about that other route. Cause what I know is, is that other route is a whole different skill set, requires a whole different kind of knowledge base, a whole different mental map, like way of thinking. So listen, brother, I appreciate you taking the time. I think people have gotten so much value out of this. So if they want to find you, if they want to send you a referral, like if they want to connect with you, where can they do so? Sure. Uh, my website is buyaztoday.com. B-Y-A-Z-Today.com. And um, you can email me directly, jason at thepenroseteam.com, jason at T-H-E-P-E-N-R-O-S-E team, T-E-A-M.com. And my cell phone, 602-738-9943, or just Google Jason Penrose. You'll have no problem finding me. You will have no problem finding him. And if you want to see what a beastie is in the gym, check him out on Instagram. (laughs) He's part of that 5 a.m. club. He's always pumping it out. 
And uh, if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe uh, to the podcast. Always trying to create value for you guys. Again, Jay, I appreciate you, man. Look forward to connecting soon. Appreciate you, Aaron. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to the Aaron Novello podcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow Aaron on Instagram at Aaron Novello. Happy hunting.